Welcome to Chats Over Chai with me, Lisa Singh. I acknowledge that we are on the lands of the Wurundjeri people who have been custodians of this land for thousands of years and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Chats Over Chai is Australia Indie Institute's podcast series as part of our launch of India Matters, celebrating 75 years of India's independence. And today we are hosting our fourth Chats Over Chai podcast with Ambassador Anil Wadwa, where we will be unpacking the recently launched India Economic Strategy Update. Published in 2018, an India Economic Strategy for 2035, Navigating Potential to Delivery, was authored by Australia's former High Commissioner to India and former Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade Secretary, Mr Peter Varghese. The document created a blueprint for the future of Australia's economic engagement with India and remains a key framework for driving the Australia-India relationship. But the India Economic Strategy was also reciprocated by the Australia Economic Strategy Report, authored by our guest here today, Ambassador Anil Wadwa, former Secretary East of the Ministry of External Affairs. And it is worth noting that the AES is the only strategy report produced for the Indian government for a specific country, which indeed demonstrates the seriousness with which both countries have sought to advance the relationship. This second report was published in 2020, right after the COVID-19 pandemic struck, which we know has had a huge effect on the global economy, including disruptions to supply chains, manufacturing, led to massive labour shortages. Of course, since 2020, there has been other major geopolitical developments affecting both economies, including Chinese trade tensions and border issues, and most recently Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So it is both prudent and timely that the, the government here in Australia has led an update of this strategic document, given the changing global context that both countries now find themselves in. So today I'm joined to unpack this conversation and what it means for Australia and India's economic engagement with our guest, Ambassador Anil Wadwa. Ambassador Anil Wadwa has 37 years' experience as a member of the Indian Foreign Service. He has been Ambassador of India to Italy, Thailand, Oman, Poland, San Marino and Lithuania. He was also Secretary East in the Ministry of External Affairs and oversaw relations with ASEAN, Southeast Asia, Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific. Ambassador Wadwa authored the Australia Economic Strategy Report 2020 for the Indian government. Currently, he is partner in an LLP, India Pathfinder Strategic Advisors, which works on investments and acquisitions by foreign companies in India. He is a distinguished fellow of the Vivekananda International Foundation, and I'm delighted to be sharing this conversation on this podcast with you, Ambassador Wadwa. So let's get straight into it. We now have the, the launch of the update of the India Economic Strategy Report here in Australia. How important do you see it was for this update to happen here? Well, if we uh, look at what's happened in the world over the past few years, since the Australia Economic Strategy was launched in 2018, We've had a number of changes uh, which impact on our bilateral relationship between India and Australia. But on the other hand, we've also had a number of structural reforms that have been undertaken in India. And that includes deregulation of the agriculture sector, change in definition of medium and small enterprises, a new policy for the public sector undertakings, the commercialization of coal mining, 
launch of a new education policy, opening the way for foreign collaborations and higher foreign direct investment limits in the defense and the space sector. We now also have a production link incentive scheme, which has identified uh, a total of 13 sectors for manufacturing incentives in India, all of which are of interest uh, to Australian companies. Uh, and companies who are registered in India can apply for these production link incentives, uh, which are uh, linked, uh, which are meant to increase um, in incremental sales over financial years, which follow from now onwards. And that includes reimbursements for additional expenditure on expansions. So Australian companies looking at India can take advantage of these opportunities now. And it was very important that um, these developments could be mapped. I'm glad to say that some of these have, uh, have been uh, pointed out in the update. And of course, the Australia Economic Strategy Report, uh, you know, which I had a role to play in and which was launched in November of 2020, actually mapped a number of these developments and uh, between the two the update and the 2020 report it will provide a complementary basis i believe for businesses from both sides to look at each other seriously thank you ambassador wadwa clearly there is so much scope and opportunity here for both australia and india in terms of these two blueprints the ies and the aes and in terms of the the ies it's now got the, this update report, it's, it's, it has an action plan which has a range of new uh, initiatives uh, as focus areas. And of course, you've just touched on some of those in terms of critical and emerging technology. In fact, uh, the Australian government's going so far as to open a new um, Australian Consulate General in Bengaluru, and as well as a new Australia-India Innovation Network and a Centre for Excellence for Critical Emerging Technology Policy. So much going on in that technological space. Do you see that as really one of, what, like the priority sector, or are there other priority sectors that we should be sort of diversifying beyond technology? Uh, a number of other priority sectors as well. But as you rightly pointed out, um, you know, our partnership between India and Australia is largely going to be driven by technology, innovation, resources, and emerging new and emerging critical technologies. And therefore, that should be seen as the first priority. And of course, uh, we have a number of other areas that we've now uh, identified quite a bit in detail. In fact, um, there is a roadmap which is available for someone who wants to enter the markets uh, from either country. And all they have to do is to look at what has been identified and follow a path which has already been explored. There is a scope which is enormous, and um, it's not just the opportunities which are available, but also the coming together of the people of the two countries, which is extremely important in this context. And I believe that uh, that coming together of the people and convergence of international issues is what is going to drive this partnership in the coming years. Absolutely. I think that that point on people-to-people -people links is incredibly important. And that's why we were pleased at the Institute to also host Minister Tien for the launch of the India Diaspora Mapping Report, which also includes an important document for how we can you know, drive our trade investment through, through greater people-to-people -people links. I think both yourself and Peter Varghese emphasise the importance 
of, of those links, and particularly here in Australia of the Indian diaspora, as an, a national economic asset that should be engaged and deployed. And uh, I think we can do that now uh, with a lot more sort of certainty with this new diaspora mapping report. But getting back to some of the other areas that I think are significant in terms of this update and, you know, where both of our countries find themselves in this post-pandemic world, but also, of course, now with other geopolitical challenges that we both face. Uh, that brings me to, to talk to you about accelerating the new energy economy for both of our countries. This idea of a green steel partnership, which forms part of our update, the idea of clean technology, a critical minerals pa- a package, and also new and renewable energy technology. All of these areas are going into new areas of, in terms of delivering jobs and growth. Do you see that we are taking advantage of these sort of commercial opportunities, both of our countries? I think we are just beginning to take advantage of these opportunities. And I'm very pleased to see that uh, the update includes an Australia, India-Australia Critical Minerals Research Partnership and India-Australia Green Steel Partnership, which you just named, as well as the Australia-India Critical Minerals Investment Partnership. Although we've discussed this over the past few years, uh, we haven't actually got down to taking some concrete steps to actualize this into practice. And by taking these initiatives, it will give us a direction in which our work in these areas can be intensified. And that, I believe, is going to lead to further investments and, and trade, particularly in the critical minerals area, uh, which promises a lot as far as India is concerned. There are huge plans here to transform uh, the economy, for, in particular, the e-vehicles policy, which has been already put before the people. In fact, there's a lot of interest which has been generated. Uh, Government is providing a lot of incentives for a change to be made from fossil fuels to dependency on uh, e-vehicles. I believe the e-mobility partnership with Australia will be the key. It will also link up with critical minerals which are available in Australia and should drive investments between India and Australia. And we will see uh, much more of an investment partnership and investment-led growth in the relationship between the two. Look, I think that is a really exciting future for both of our countries. And when we talk about e-mobility partnerships, it's it's probably of of technology that hasn't even been dreamt up yet. But there's certainly a, a footprint already, of course, in India of Australian tech companies as well as there are Indian tech companies with a footprint here in Australia. So I think on that front, we are starting to to take off. But clearly, as you say, Ambassador, there's there's a lot more investment partnership that can occur for both of our countries. I think that's a good point for me to raise about the issue of supply chains. I mean, obviously, the pandemic has exposed the need for both, both our countries and companies to, to diversify supply chains and becoming too reliant on any one partner is now something that most would agree should be managed and if possible, obviously avoided. So I think in that sense, this is where the update of the India Economic Strategy notes that, you know, there are efforts to diversify business risk and that will likely play into India's advantage as a place to 
relocate parts of global supply chains. Would you agree with this? Do you think we are starting to pivot and look at those opportunities more in India? I would agree with that because I think there is a conscious effort to to make sure that we develop a robust system of uh, diversified supply chains in partnership with, with a country like Japan. Uh, the three countries, India, Australia, and Japan, have agreed on a resilient supply chains initiative. And although we have struggled to find concrete proposals for it, we have made a lot of headway by way of uh, simplification of trade and digitization of trade. Now, I believe that's a new way to go in international trade in, in the coming years, bring down the costs and use efficiency into how countries trade with each other. That's the first step. The second step, of course, is to make sure that your supply chains are located in, in, in different places uh, so that there's no uh, dependency on one particular place or country uh, and that uh, all partners benefit in the process. And it is here when I, when I talked about the production link incentive scheme, which has been, uh, which has been unveiled in India, uh, 13 sectors of, for manufacturing incentives, that's where uh, the opportunities arise. Uh, and I would uh, also say that uh, you know uh, the update particularly mentions uh, defense supply chains uh, in particular. Now that is, uh, of course, keeping in mind the relationship that both India and Australia have developed with the United States over the years, where there's a lot of manufacturing of uh, U.S. companies going on in India and in Australia. Uh, but uh, given the economies of scale, Australian companies perhaps could take advantage of uh, the lower wages and uh, incentives being offered through the two defense corridors in India and uh, the defense hubs which have been set up in various parts of India who actually take advantage of that and uh, collaborate with U.S. companies in the process and indeed with other countries as well. So that's an example of what can be done by diversification of supply chains. Ambassador Wadwa, that's, you know, I think leads us to very much looking at the fact that the Quad itself, you, you mentioned the United States, Japan, of course, Australia and India as the four members of the Quad also have that focus supply chains and indeed have a working group on that. So do, do you think the Quad, although it's, you know, regarded as a grouping on a sort of security focus in terms of its its grouping. Do you think it can advance itself as, as four nations that are coming together quite often of late <laughs> into more of the trade and investment space? Is there opportunity for the Quad to become more of an economic grouping than, than just the security side? So I think that's already happening because uh, the Quad has now identified at least a dozen or so fields in which it can work together. Most of these are in the in the economic side, the new technology areas. At least seven of them have now have working groups which have been set up, while hardcore defense and security issues uh, are not quite visible in the joint statements which come out of the Quad. But we must remember that uh, there's another arm to the Quad, which is the Malabar exercises. And here, the intensification of the exercises, diversification, 
and inclusion of issues like uh, submarine detection and warfare, etc., is something which is going on in parallel. I'm also pleased to see that the space element has been introduced into the Quad collaboration, which will help in maritime domain awareness and at the same time will help advance collaboration in space-related technologies. Now, that's an important area for collaboration, which has been identified between India and Australia as well. And taking on from the Australia Economic Strategy Report, I'm glad to note that there are a number of areas which have been listed now in the update uh, on the space side in particular. And that's because both governments have their own space programs and their uh, ambitions to advance uh, uh, their programs, their, their manufacturing and uh, uh, technologies in the space field. Uh, we've also signed a bilateral agreement for collaboration in space. And this will give us uh, the opportunity to advance uh, both investments as well as uh, collaborations between the public and the private sectors uh, in the defence space. I think that area of, dis- of space bilateral engagement is, is an exciting one because it very much builds on our science and innovation ties as two nations and again, was a key feature in the action plan of the India Economic Strategy Update launched this week. Uh, I think that idea of expanding that international space investment initiative funding for, for that's in the IES is an exciting one too for both of our countries. But just on this, I mean, I think this is where it's interesting, Ambassador Wadwa, your report obviously was done uh, in 2020, as you say, for the Indian government and the, the Varghese report, the India Economic Strategy, done prior to that. But what we heard this week from, from Minister Tian at the launch of this uh, India Economic Strategy update, which of course extends right out to 2035, he did say that while this is the second version of the IES, that the Australian government here intends on creating a third version, a fourth and a fifth version and so on. So I was wanting to ask you in the, in terms of the Australia economic strategy that you authored, do you intend to do the same for the Indian government? It depends um, on whether you know the government asks me to do that in the future. At the moment, we uh, have just completed a review of what is in the report and um, we have very little to add except the new reforms that have come into various sectors. Now, perhaps that could be added as a separate chapter as we go along by collecting, you know, the updates on on reforms, uh, which will give a fuller picture of this uh, strategy. Uh, So at the moment, this is the thinking, but we don't know. I mean, we might have new areas which we can find later, uh, which will require additions. Uh, So we'll see how it uh, goes in the future. Oh, thank you for that, Ambassador Wadwar. I think, um, you know, we, we look forward to any sort of review of your authored Australia Economic Strategy or or extra chapters as they may come. I think what, what shows in this is that our relationship is dynamic. Our two countries are embracing uh, the vibrancy in the relationship, but also uh, recognising the challenges. And, and those may be geopolitical, they may be economic uh, and in terms of also the security front that we, we now face globally as well. So lots of reasons to continue to ensure that these two living documents, the IES and the AES, 
remain relevant and living uh, throughout the time uh, that we want to build our economic partnership. I want to thank you very much, Ambassador Wadwa, for informing your views on the update of the India Economic Strategy and uh, how they relate to, to the bilateral relationship and indeed for your work in authoring the Australia Economic Strategy Report as well. Thank you so much, Ambassador Wadwa. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to speak to you on this subject today. Thank you. You have been listening to the Australia India Institute Chats Over Chai series as part of our India Matters series with me, Lisa Singh, CEO of the Australia India Institute. Thank you. Thank you.